extra, extra. Read all about it. I love Black history. So proud about it. I know where I come from, and I don't doubt it. Stand up on the roof and shout, Black history. Can't you see what it all means to me? And if you're like me, and if I'm like you, then you care about our history as much as I do. So go the lyrics of the song, I Am the Future of Black History, sung here by Culture Queen. We here at Solution to Balance, along with our guest today, understand the importance of Black history, as does our guest, Barbara Boyd and Barbara Spencer Dunn. Welcome to Solutions to Violence. You're listening to Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM. We're delighted you could join us today as we talk with our guests, Barbara Boyd and Barbara Spencer Dunn. I'm Jamie McMillan, and my co-host is Jim Johnson, and we are your hosts for Solutions to Violence. It's sponsored by Forward Radio. Forward Radio is an affiliate of the Louisville Fellowship of Reconciliation. The following is part of WFMP's public affairs educational programming. The views expressed are those of our guests and not the station. If you'd like to share your views, you can do this by emailing us at solutionsviolets18 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Barbara Boyd and Barbara Spencer Dunn, welcome to Solutions to Violence, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us. So Barbara Boyd is the co-chair of the Louisville Source of Justice, a member of Empower West, past chair of the Kentucky Alliance Against Racism and Political Repression. She is a retired Jefferson County Public School rank one teacher. She has a BA in paralegal studies from Sullivan University and has served a term and a half on the Education Professional Standards Board after being appointed by Governor Steve Bashir. Barbara Ward is the Lowell president of the Association for the Study of African-American Studies, Life, and History, ASAWA 2019 to present, the president of the Lowell chapter of the Carter G. Woodson ASAWA branch. Barbara Spencer Dunn is a Director of Membership Services, 2004 to 2007, Co-Chair, Membership in Woodson Home, Association for the Study of African-American Life History. She is the co-author of Before and Beyond the Niagara Movement as the Youth See It, also co-author of Training with a Purpose, Kiamsha Edition. So welcome, Barbara Spencer Dunn and Barbara Boyd. Thank you. Thank you. Barbara Spencer Dunn, you are an executive council member of the Association for the Study of African American Life and History. That's ASALA. Tell us about ASALA. Well, thank you for that, uh, Jim. ASALA is the founder of what we know as Black History Today. Dr. Woodson in 1926 started Negro History Week that is now celebrated as Black History Month. And Dr. Woodson started that because he wanted to document the true account of the history of African-Americans in this country. And his goal was racial harmony, because he believed that if people knew the truth about our history, they would not see us as inferior. So he chose the week between Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln's birthday. And so most, a lot of people, I want you to help me shatter the myth that we were given the shortest month of the year. No, Dr. Woodson knew symbolism was important at the time in 1926. So he chose the birthday week between Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass' birthday to celebrate the week. But as time went on, 1976, it was expanded to Black History Month. But all the long, the time in February is when we introduce a theme for the year, and then we are to study and celebrate the theme for the entire year. So it was never just keep it in February, it was to celebrate and study the history the entire year. Asala also 
1916, after Dr. Woodson started ASALA in 1915, and it was started as the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, the name changed in the 60s. When he started that organization, the very next year, 1916, he actually published the first Journal of Negro History that is now called the Journal of African-American History. When you join ASALA as a member, you have access to that journal from the time it was published in 1916 to, to the present today, digitally. So it's a wonderful resource. And for, in fact, I start all of my research with that journal. And most of the time, I don't have to leave that journal to find out what I need to know. Also today, ASALA is really one of its really biggest goals was mentoring. And Dr. Woodson started that mentoring model. And every year since 1915, new scholars, historians have been trained and mentored to keep this association going. And we are now celebrating 106 years. We have 48 branches across the United States. And we are really impacting the world because around the world, Black History Month is celebrated. And people around the world know that it came from Carter G. Woodson. That's where they got it from. But people in the United States, a lot of them do not know. So it shows you the disadvantage of us not telling the truth of our history. And that's exactly what a scholar is here for, to help you understand the truth about the African-American history story and make it a part of American history, which it is. So Barbara Dunn, you claim that much of the African-American history is omitted from public and parochial core content curriculum. What makes you say that? How do you substantiate that claim? Well, I can substantiate it even just by my own life history. I am now 70, I turned 70 in 2020. So my life, I lived it. So I learned my history through my father, our church, and at my school, I went to an all black school. But there were teachers in that school that went outside of the curriculum and brought in the history because it was not embedded in the curriculum. So what I have experienced now in meeting people all around this country, they have the same story. And Dr. Woodson said, in, in 1933, when he wrote The Miseducation of the Negro, he talked about when African-Americans were freed from enslavement, how the curriculum changed. They removed the study of the constitution because they did not want us to know or buy for our rights. But what they missed in all of that was there was always somebody in our community that knew the truth. And so in our communities, we were learning the truth. And so that's why it's so important. The claim is true, Jim, curriculums all across the country really ignored the story of African-Americans, even though we were very much a part of this history. So it has caused a level of ignorance for all people in this country. Yeah. Yeah, Barbara, I can agree with that. I mean, I didn't know anything about African-American history. Hardly knew the Africans, you know, lived, you know, when I took U.S. history, it, was, it wasn't even talked about. So Barbara, you claim that much of the African-American history is, is omitted from public high schools. So Dr. Carter, Dr. Carter Woodson's idea to bring history of Americans uh, into K through 12 social studies curriculum, uh, would you begin to tell us about Dr. Woodson and, and his passion? Yeah, well, Dr. Carter Godwin Woodson has been deservedly recognized as the father of the scientific study of history as applied to African-Americans. As such, he was the creator of the field or discipline of African-American history called Negro history in his day. It referred to currently as Afro-American history or black history. He discovered, researched, and organized the body of knowledge on African-Americans developing his bibliography as well as methodology and philosophy. Moreover, he developed supports and techniques 
that perpetuated and popularized the field so that it became and remains the main source and vehicle of knowledge and pride for Black people everywhere, as well as for the scholar and the more serious student. How this was achieved is a testament to Dr. Woodson's genius. And the mission of Asala is to research, document, interpret, that part is really important, interpret and promote and disseminate information about Black life, history and culture to the global community. And so that was his singular purpose. And that is what Asala is all about. Okay, so Barbara, you kind of answered this question, but why is teaching Black history important to African-American students? And we must add, it's important to African-American students because if we don't know who we are, it changes the way we interact with the rest of the world. What I have discovered as we teach young people the history of this country, and then we really promote to them to study the history of their family. Interview your family members that are 70 and older and get their stories. It changes the way they see themselves because then they learn the truth. Most of them, and they will tell you, when they were in school, all they learned about was slavery. And there was a stigma to that. As they were sitting in the classroom, especially if they were one or two in the classroom, that whole subject of slavery shamed them. But when they learn the truth about the history, even when they learn about slavery along with the truth, they no longer shame they can hold their heads up high because they know what is true about them. They know that they originated in Africa. They were stolen from Africa. Their descendants were brought to this country and they were brought here because of their skills and abilities, not because they were inferior. So that, that lie has been perpetuated throughout. So history is very important to the African-American youth because it brings pride to them as an African-American. Okay, well, I mentioned this earlier, but uh, why is it important to, uh, to teach history to African-Americans to white students? I didn't have that in when I was in high school or college. And you know what, and what, that's a very good question because what we all need to realize is this African-American history is American history. So it's your history as well. When we right. have, it has been proven that civilization started in Africa. So we're all from Africa. So race is a social construct. It was created to create a divide between us. We are all human beings created equal. And so when we get that picture, we see each other as sisters and brothers. And that is what has got to change. That is what I'm fighting for in this country. That is what Barbara's fighting for in this country. And those of you who know the truth, that would be your fight as well. That would bring us together as one. We all need to be fighting for that. Yeah, and it also destroys the myth that some white racists claim that the reason why African-Americans are a many still lingering in poverty is because they're lazy. They suffer from a character flaw. So that African-American history destroys that myth because of, despite the fact that slavery, oppression, Jim Crow oppression, institutionalized racism still exists today, African-American intellectuals have accomplished and made enormous contributions to not only the United States, but the world in general. So knowing that history destroys that myth and prevents people, racist, from claiming that African-Americans uh, are not qualified. Yeah. And what has to be destroyed is the system that allows it. That's what we're suffering from. The playing field has never been leveled for us. So when we were freed from enslavement in 1865, another system came in, convict leasing. So we were 
people were able to come to our community, arrest us on trumped up charges, place us in prison. And then the slave owners that had those plantation fields to still be worked could take us back into those fields for a small cost. And we were leased to them to work their fields, convict leasing. Then Jim Crow laws came in, then a system of lynching us. I mean, all of these, then the disadvantage of not putting our history in the curriculum, all of these are systems that are in place even today that have got to be destroyed. That is what's going to move us forward. So the playing field has never been equal in this country for African-Americans. But even with that, we have risen to the occasion because we know what the truth is and we've always fought the system. Our people fought even in, when they were put on those ships in Africa. Some of them jumped aboard and, and committed suicide not to be taken on board. But those that decided to survive and live, they persevered. They made us strong, their ancestors. And that's why today we can stand strong and say we know who we are because they brought who we are with them. They passed it through oral history. And still today, we know what the truth really is. Okay. So Dr. Walter Melton Jr. is the author of Black History 365, an inclusive account of American history 2020. Tell us about Dr. Melton's book and Black History 365. Black History 365 is really the textbook we've all been waiting on. And Dr. Milton actually went to Dr. Joel Freeman, who is his partner and his co-author with this book. Dr. Milton had the vision for the book. And then he went, and he's an African-American who lives in Texas. And then he reached out to Joel Freeman was a, a white American here in, in Maryland. And they they met years ago, but they came together to co-author this book. And over a period of time, they put together a textbook that has 10 distinct units. And it also has phases. And the curriculum elements of it are absolutely outstanding. That phase one is the setting the stage that consists of the ACE lesson. And it has vocabulary, community engagement activities, enduring understanding, big ideas, and essential questions. There's nothing better than asking the right questions. Because asking questions is what gets you to the goal. That was brings the students' own knowledge of what who they are into the conversation. And so phase two is taking what you have from phase one and now embedding it in the foundational building through activation, the development of reflection and socialization. And so phase two is integrated technology. They have chapter check-ins, sidebar checks. And one of the biggest things is the elephant experience. And what the elephant experience is, they prepare you for some of the hard to swallow history that we've got to talk about. So it helps a teacher prepare the student for something like when they have to talk about enslavement, when they have to talk about lynching. So that elephant experience, you see this elephant on the page and it kind of brings you to the understanding, wow, we got to get our stuff ready. We got to get our minds ready because we're getting ready to hear something that might be hard to accept. And what else is really good about this curriculum? They have 41 songs that have been created that go with every unit. And they're created in a way that really pulls the students in. I mean, the children are jamming to a beat that's actually teaching them about a subject matter at hand. And you know how uh, music really helps teach. And so the final stage is phase three, and that's review, authentic world connection and closure. And in this phase, students are able to summarize the things they have learned work on concepts and ideas, and also think about how what they have learned is related to the world around them. This is where they have something to consider and they review and assess. They will have a scenario or a problem that they have to solve. And what's very empowering about this book too is interactive. There are over 1,200 
QR codes. So these young people are taking out their cell phone, which we know they can't do without their cell phone. And they are taking out their cell phone, putting in all those QR codes. They're listening to the speeches by Martin Luther King, James Baldwin. They're seeing articles. They're doing all their research right with this textbook. It is the most powerful textbook I have ever seen. And the other thing about Joel Freeman, over the years, he has written, he has collected over 3,000 artifacts. And so he has pictures and artifacts that have never been seen before. So you know how most of the textbooks, you see some of the same pictures? This textbook has pictures you've never seen, artifacts you've never seen. Because who Joel Freeman is, he was the chaplain for the wizard. And when the wizard started asking him questions as a minister about the Black presence in the Bible, he started to study it different. And he ended up writing a book called A White Man's Journey into Black History. And so the two of them together is just a powerful thing. And this textbook reflects who Dr. Walter Milton Jr. is and Dr. Joel Freeman are as a team. So W.E.B. Du Bois Academy, a Jefferson County public school here in Louisville, with its, by design, a mostly African-American student body, boasts of a Black History 365 Social Studies core content curriculum. The JCPS Academy for Girls is set to open next year, and it will also include a Black History 365 Social Studies curriculum. Does that mean that the Social Studies curriculum will be entirely about Black history? Or will that curriculum include the history of white people as well, Barbara Boyd? Black History 365 is a curriculum. And if JCPS and the, the Du Bois Academy have adopted uh, Black History 365, I don't really know the curriculum, but I'm sure that it is American history because Black history is American history. And the Girls Academy is the Grace James Academy. I will be talking with the principal there to find out exactly what they're going to be rolling out. My hesitancy in answering the question is because BH365 is a program, it's a curriculum, and it is a trademark. And if JCPS has adopted BH Black History 365 for the Du Bois Academy and the Grace James Girls School, then I would say it's got, it has to include American history. John Brown is a white abolitionist. He's white. He's, he's included in, in the history of American history. And Louisville is going to have, there's an open house scheduled for, I believe it's June, Barbara, to learn a little bit more about Black History 365, which I have signed up for that open house. And Barbara Dunn and I, along with the principal of the West End School, Dr. Pamela Perry Hill, and some others are scheduling a professional development that will include, hopefully, administrators from JCPS, maybe the even the Catholic parochial schools, so that when the authors of the book, well, the professional development would be headed by the authors. Is that not true, Barbara? Yes. They, so, the professional development is headed by, we have a whole training team. 
but they usually bring the artists in to do the first session so that they get to meet the artists and hear exactly from them. And then they have a whole team, a professional development team, and I'm on that team as well. So we'll see, Jim. <laughs> and the answer to that is what Barbara said. American history includes all of it. African-American history just has been left out. And so we are taking charge of helping them have what they need to incorporate those missing pieces of American history. So what we got to look at history is we can't look at it as black and white. That's what the problem has been. <laughs> yes. Well, mostly white. <laughs> Barbara Boyd, Kentucky State Legislature Attica Scott, introduced a provision to Kentucky House Bill 186. That provision will require the Kentucky Board of Education to promulgate administrative regulations establishing six standards, which school districts and those, among other standards, require every public middle school and high school curriculum to include, quote, three instructions on history of racism that shall include but not be limited to the transatlantic slave trade, the American Civil War, Jim Crow laws, the Black Codes, desegregation, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, redlining, and residential segregation, end quote. Is that an adequate implementation of African-American history, or has important history been left out? For example, the history of African-American intellectuals. What do well, you think? we know that African-American history has been left out. We didn't learn it. You didn't learn it unless and until you went on to higher education, a university, and you decided that that was the cl class you wanted to take. We didn't learn our history. Ricardo X, a retired Jefferson County public school teacher from Central High School, taught Black history, and he had one of the most popular classes at Central. When it comes to the Black intellectuals, Dr. Carter G. Woodson, foremost, is one of the outstanding Black intellectuals who started Asala. And 106 years later, we have a wealth of information on the Asala bookshelves. We have the Journal of African-American History that truthful research could be founded in those journals. As far as the, the intellectuals, there are so many. W.E.B. Du Bois, Frederick Douglass, modern-day Tananishi Coates, Angela Davis, those intellectuals should be embedded in the teaching of Black history. American history, and I kind of want to change the teaching of Black history. If our history is embedded in American history, then we don't have a problem. All the, the dots will be connected. We will learn about uh, the Jim Crow laws, about the Green Book, about the sit-ins, the Montgomery boycotts. Well, we pretty much know that because that's kind of, that. I mean, that hasn't been too far in the past. Reverend Al Sharpton does a good job when we have the 50th anniversary of the civil rights, the March on Washington. Those things bring the past history into future history. But these people that I've just named are some of the intellectuals and there, there's more. If we Google it, we would find out that there are so many Black intellectuals, so many books, we would have a huge wall-to-wall -wall bookshelf if we were to go out and, and invest in that. You know, our President Obama, Michelle Obama, these are all examples of Black intellects that are modern day. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, Ms. Boyd, what will it take to have HB uh, Bill 186 or some version of it passed on to Governor Bashir that includes a strong provision relating to African-American history? What will it take to get that bill? Well, I think it's going to take people pressure, parents. With what happened in the last year with the pandemic, we see that, I apologize for my dog barking, in the last year, children just started going back to school this week. They have been out of school for a week. You have parents that have decided, I'm not going to send my children back. I'm going to let them continue with the NTI to the end of the year, and maybe they'll go back in the fall. Well, with parents making those strong decisions to withhold their children from school, those same parents that we will reach out to to start a writing campaign to ask Governor Brashear to sign House Bill 186. And then ASALA, the Louisville branch of ASALA, has a lot of activists involved in our membership. And we don't have any problems going to different counties that we know people in the state of Kentucky because it's going to take a push. We don't want Jefferson County to be isolated as the only school district to teach, to fill in the blanks by putting our African-American history into American history where it belongs. But we don't mind going to Paducah, to Bowling Green, to Cadiz, Kentucky, to Hopkinsville. We'll even go to Pine Mountain Settlement School in the Appalachian and see that if and when they start their settlement school back, that they will embed our history into the American history. I mean, there are a lot of avenues that we could take. We have some excellent letter writing, letter writers in our ASALA membership. And we are dead set on doing whatever it takes to get our history rightfully into American history where it belongs. Okay, so Barbara Boyd, uh, we have to say at this time, because of federal communications regulations, we cannot ask as a programmers and uh, journalists from uh, WFMP, we cannot ask people to contact uh, political leaders because of the regulations. You can as our guest. So we want to state that disclaimer, but we appreciate that answer. All right. Should I ask them or did I already ask? You did. (laughs) (laughs) And and you and you should say as Barbara Boyd the citizen, because as a solo, we can't either. As Barbara Boyd the citizen. Yes. And activist. Yes. That that's what I thought I was trying to make clear. Mm -hmm. You did, but say it when you say it again, because they want you to say it again. (laughs) As Barbara Boyd the act the citizen. (laughs) Okay. Uh, so Barbara Spencer Dunn, what about the national level? Is ASALA working to get federal legislation enacted that would require all public school districts to include Black history, Black History 365 curriculum, or some variation of that uh, core content curriculum? Not ASALA, per se, nationally. ASALA, for its 106 years existence, has published material for anyone needing material to supplement their history and curriculum with the history of African Americans in the U.S. And also ASALA for years has served as the historical arm to inform law in this country. History has always been important to law. So with every movement, you will see an ASALA historian that has been called on by the NAACP or other things just to do the research to give them to inform the laws that they are trying to implement. But what ASALA does have is branches across the country. And in every case where there are states with this requirement, you will find ASALA members engaged, but they're engaged as citizens 
in the country. We teach our members to think globally. They need to know the history around the world, but act locally. Every Asala member, wherever they live, they know what's going on in their local locale. So they are engaged, just like Barbara Board. As Barbara Board, the citizen, she's been actively involved. And so that's what Asala is about. So what Asala does on a national level is document the truth about history so people have what they need to inform the law. This question can go to both of you. Are there other states with a core content social studies curriculum that that require teaching African-American and and Native American history or other uh, minorities? We definitely know there are some states and cities in the United States. And to some of them, like the state of Maryland, where I live, they have a requirement. Philadelphia has had one for years. They had a mandate and they're still fighting the battle of implementation. Same as New Jersey. Texas State Board of Education in 2020, for the first time, they voted unanimously, passed a bill that requires all schools to include African-American history in the curriculum, and they are starting to adopt BH365. New York, most recently Colorado, and Indianapolis. So it's happening across the U.S., but those are some that I can name. You guys are starting another kind of revolution, I think, because there are a lot of uh, minority histories that we just don't know, like the Japanese internment, you know, the the uh, persecution of Irish and Jewish. So a lot of that's going to come out, I think, of, uh, of your work. But because of uh, standardized test scores, and they're a critical measure of, of a school success or faith, teachers are reluctant to spend instructional time on Native American, African American history, unless those standardized tests also reflect that history. Is Asala also advocating for a change in the standardized test? If so, where does it start at the state level or national level? What is the possibility of getting the standardized test change? You know, as I pointed out earlier, Asala's mission is clear. We research, interpret, document, promote, and disseminate information about Black life history and culture to the global community. And you can always guarantee that there are members of Asala in the background doing some research for projects that are meaningful. When you think about those standardized tests, what I say all the time, if people would just teach the truth to the young people, teach the truth about the history, the children wouldn't have a problem passing tests. You wouldn't have to teach to the test because it would awaken their spirits within them. They would not only memorize things, they would remember things because it would relate to them. So no, we're not doing anything about standardized testing. What we're doing is making sure information is available to people to use. And if we would switch our the way we handle education today and teach the truth about our history, we wouldn't have a problem with children passing tests. Okay. Ms. Spencer Dunn, you, you are also the author of Training with a Purpose. Your book is also uh, helping uh, young people develop critical thinking skills. Tell us about your workbook. What inspired you to create it? And uh, what do you mean when you are talking about critical uh, thinking skills? Well, you know what? One of the things that is in a lost art with people a lot of times is thinking. People are just sort of moving with what's going on in the country. And our, our children, they use their cell phones, but they don't know what's behind the phone to make it work like it does anymore. And, and that critical thinking has just been taken away. And so that is a natural thing for us. We are thinkers, but because what has happened in this country is taken that away, even with the adults today. So what we're really saying to people is we've got to look at the system that's in place that causes us to do what we do. That's why I wrote Before and Beyond the Niagara Movement, as the youth see it, and Training with a Purpose, the Kiamsha edition. 
I asked God in the early 80s when I was going to more funerals for young African-American males than I was for adults, I asked God to show me a way to reach our young people. And over the next five years, I didn't even know what was happening, but I was documenting things when I was at conferences, when I was sitting in a church service, when I was at a public meeting, when I was in a car listening to the radio, things were coming to me and I was writing them down and I didn't realize until five years later, I had really developed a curriculum. So I actually published that curriculum. And that is the curriculum since 1992 has been used for the Kiyomsha Youth Empowerment Organization that was founded by Dorothy F. Bailey. And her reason for founding the organization was to reach African-American youth. And she happened to come to me as her friend to ask me to be the director. And that's when I realized that history that I had documented was gonna be used for that purpose. And so what it is, is, is it really is a way to connect the dots. It's the history of African-Americans placed in with the history of American history so that anyone, before you take a course in American history, you have what you need to connect the dots. That's why I wrote that curriculum. Training with a purpose is another way because there are principles, biblical principles that have been placed throughout the curriculum because I believe that history and character and integrity must go together. In order for you to talk about the truth about history, you need to have some integrity. And we use the definition of integrity as doing the right thing, even when no one is looking. And so that's what we've been teaching the young people. So they learn their history now, they develop good character, and then they have integrity to pass the truth about their history throughout wherever they go, in their work environment, in their home environment, in their church environment, in their school environment. And so that's what Before and Beyond and Training What a Purpose were created to do. Okay, so Barbara Dunn, you are executive director of the Kiyomisha Youth Empowerment Organization. Is that about helping youth find their political voice? You mentioned it, it teaches critical thinking skills, but political empowerment, is that involved? It absolutely is. What is really unique about Kiyomisha as of uh, 2013, I actually passed the torch to an alumni of Kiyomsha who is now the executive director of Kiyomsha. And that shows you what it is. Kiyomsha is an organization that taught young people to be mentors to their own peer group. So there are ninth through 12th graders, and now they've included eighth grade. And these young people are getting training to do workshop development, workshop facilitation, but they are is infused with their history and they actually teach their own peers what the adults teach them. And so today, our executive director is Renata Johnson. She actually met with the school system, with Barbara's school system recently and actually showed them what it would mean if you teach the young people their history, how it would change the way they think, how they would think critically for themselves, because then they would have a knowledge of who they are. And so that is what I did as executive director of Kiyomsha. I actually infused African-American history in the curriculum. We actually taught them biblical principles that were put in such a way that they could go from the schoolhouse to the church house and everything and everybody in between because they are character development principles. And so that's what this training has done. BH365 has adopted this training as well to produce what they're calling solutionist academies. So we're going to be using this curriculum in the academy. But you also are co-author of Before and Beyond the Niagara Movement. Most of us don't know the Niagara Movement. Now, this is as you see it. Would you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. Before and Beyond the Niagara Movement, 
When I found out about what the Niagara Movement was, every civil rights movement since that time in 1905 has really been built on the Niagara Movement. And the Niagara Movement was the first public protest of what they called the New Negroes. That was Dr. Woodson's time, Du Bois, and all the pluralists of the time. When they had a different tone from Booker T. Washington, they were demanding their rights, right. demanding them. And so that's what the Niagara Movement was. And in short five years of the Niagara Movement, it became what is now known as the NAACP. So that is a powerful movement. And the NAACP, as you know, is with everybody. People of all cultures are in the NAACP. And so that Niagara Movement was that beginning start of that. And so I built my book around the Niagara Movement. And the way I said, as the youth see it, in the book, there are digital resources. There are four camps of youth that I have telling the story of the history of the United States, but they're analyzing the decisions that were made. They're analyzing through a youth's eye and they're telling the story about what happened, what they do different. So it's really almost like a pre-Black Lives Movement movement, really. <laughs> and these young people are telling the story, but they're using factual information. Everything they say are facts that were built in before and beyond and we use Dr. Carter G. Woodson as a voice of reason throughout the book. Throughout the book, there are quotes from his 1933 Miseducation of the Negro, and it informs every subject in every chapter that we talk about. Well, it's another, you know, it's another element of that uh, Black history that, that everybody needs to know and how it impacted or impacts today. You know, how it has all kinds of influence on, on today. You're absolutely right. Everything informs today. And that's why it's so important for us to know the truth about our history. I want us to just remember, the United States received a D in history. A D, y'all. <laughs> and it's, you know, it, it has caused the ignorance on all of our parts. There's a level of ignorance on all of us with the knowledge of our history. There is so much we need to learn and it's because there was a strategy to keep us from knowing, but guess what? It caused everybody not to know. <laughs> So there, and I want you to remember this, because this is very important for us to say. There's a root cause for centuries of the trauma that has been instilled from the trauma of enslavement. And that, that root cause is greed. And that greed and trauma empowered our entire culture to brutalize and commit crimes against another culture without any recourse. And it really is a brutalization against humanity. Because as I go back to it, we're all human beings. Race is a social construct. The color of our skin is just the essence of the beauty of who we are. It has nothing to do with our intelligence. So race is defined by what? White and black. Color has nothing to do with it. And that's what we're gonna have to change. So in the meantime, while we're trying to change all of this stuff, we just gotta tell the truth in the history. Cause as we tell the truth in the history, it's gonna start to change hearts. And that's what's gonna change what's happening in this country. Say it again. It's gonna happen. It's gonna have to be said over and over. <laughs> Will be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Barbara Boyd, let's talk a little about the actions of Masala here in Louisville. Besides the Jefferson County Public School System and the Kentucky Board of Education pressuring them to adopt a core content social studies curriculum that is more inclusive of African American history, what else do you want to accomplish? As far as uh, for Asala. Yes. Um, Asala has a theme every year. And this year, our theme is the Black family. And what we are studying, talking about, disseminating, researching 
is our family history. And because we need to know who we are, you know, Black History 365 is the curriculum for the schools. What about the parents? There are so many of us that don't know our history. I'm just finding out mine in, you know, the last 10, 10 or so years. And I've been on this planet a long time. And so that that's what we are doing. We are educating ourselves about our history in by any means necessary. We have members that go to various conferences and they bring back what they've learned. We've got members that have children in the public school system. We have members that are teachers. We have members that are politicians, members, ministers. And we just want to concentrate on the theme for 2001, which is the Black family. Yes, and Barbara said it well. One of the things that Asala is doing uh, along with the theme this year, we have on our website, which is www.asala.org, there is a document that actually walks you through the process of documenting your family history. So we're asking people to interview family members 70 and older. We're also asking you to create a mission statement for your family. And that package includes the process for creating a mission statement. It gives you all the questions. We were talking about asking questions, how yeah. critical that is. It gives you the questions to ask as you sit around the table with your family to create a mission statement for your family. We're asking everyone to do that, everyone, because we're family, we're the human family. And then we're also asking them to interview people 70 and older so you do not allow people to leave this earth with history that you will not know unless you ask them those questions. So we'd like you guys to promote that among everybody you know, every church, every school, every community center, boys and girls club, and we gave you the plan for it right on our website. That is so good. You know, the older I get, the more questions I have about <laughs> my family that I never asked, never thought to ask, you mm -hmm. know? And you know, we, we carry a lot of that history through uh, generations and we don't even know where it originated. You know, but I, you know the more I, I think about it, the more I want to know what I'm carrying around. <laughs> no, and that that is so important. Uh, this year, as a result of the pandemic, I found out that my grandmother, my father's mother, owned 52 acres of land in, in Nashville. Now, I don't know what happened to the ancestral land, but that is, uh, you, you, my mind is just reeling because that's going to be a part of my research. And it wasn't just those 52 acres. Her, her brother and her sister had ancestral land, at least 52 acres apiece. That's a lot of land to lose. So, Barbara, that's really interesting because Risen, in 2010, my family, we actually found the plantation that my family was enslaved on. We're descendants of those enslaved at on the Monte Verde Plantation in Russ County, Texas. Now, what I did know, my father, they had passed through over history that my great-grandfather and mother, Green Lewis and Phoebe Lewis, in Anadarka, Texas, they actually donated the land for the first school and church. And my family, my mother's brothers and sisters, my father's brothers and sisters, they all graduated from the school. It started in the church, and then it was a Rosenwald school, and they all graduated from there. And that land, was donated by my great-grandparents. And so, you know, also my great-grandfather on my dad's side, Alf Spencer, he, 
he was a Civil War veteran. And we recently found his name on the Civil War veteran wall. He was in the 55th Regiment. So it's things like that. They plant the seeds like my dad planted the seed. Your great granddad was in the Civil War. So then you have something that you're going to look for. So now with that memorial, we went down there and we went, we had about five of us there. We were looking at every wall. (laughs) (laughs) And I found my granddad's name, great granddad's name. But this is what else I'm going to tell you. Now that we know the plantation, we're connected with the slave owner's family. A lot of our history as African-Americans has to be told the rest of it from the history that the white owners had. And we are very fortunate because that family donated their records to the University of Texas. And there is a book by a man named Dorman Winfrey who did his dissertation on our family. This is how we found out in 2010. 80 enslaved people are listed in that book and they are my relatives. So you see, our history was started from that. And now in 2010, all these years later, this whole new world of things about my family has opened up. And so I say, we've got to do that. That's why we got to come together as a human family, you guys, because DNA doesn't lie. And now we're finding out we're relatives. We're not just the human family. We're related. So we've got to get this right, y'all. Sure. Barbara Boyd, you said something about 52 acres. I have a question for you about that. There's something called 40 40 acres and a mule. You heard of that? Yes, I have. Uh Well, let me ask you this. There was was some very important history that had to do with reparations. And that involves a famous, couple of famous people. One is William P. Sherman, General uh, Sherman, and President Andrew Johnson. For those of us who don't know, remember the legacy of Sherman, he was a famous uh, general, United States general, and he led a five-week long campaign burning through everything in sight in Georgia. And uh, it made a pretty well convincing message that the Civil War was over. Sherman was a field offer, and uh, he approved uh, by Lincoln and, and was provided reparations that, that Lincoln had, had not uh, done because he was assassinated. But as, as, a point, as he pointed out by a Baptist minister last week on Solutions to Violence, uh, Reverend Cosby, those reparations uh, would have changed the course of history for American um, African-Americans. Would you share with us how General Sherman and President Andrew Johnson influenced the process of reparations for African-Americans? They did not influence the, the process of reparations. They destroyed everything. They took everything away. They took away the, we didn't get the 40 acres and a mule. Yeah, that was given by Sherman and Lincoln, but it was Johnson who took it away, right? Johnson took it away. If we had gotten the 40 acres and a mule, the world would have been a different place. Right. We would have been able to, you know, grow our own crops and have our own clothing from flax and tobacco, I mean, and um, cotton. Just think, we would have had pockets of land that we were, would have all been able to work and pass on and have generational wealth. Because the land was stolen from us, it prevented us from being able to have generational wealth and the stigmatism that goes with that. And it, it's still going on now with, it used to be urban renewal. Does urban renewal go through and destroy white families' homes? I, I'm trying, that's one of the things that I'm going to be researching because in Louisville, Kentucky, the downtown area, if you, if you realize it, the Beach of Terrace housing project 
was leveled. Now, urban renewal has gone through that area. This is at least the second time in my lifetime that I know about it because we had our Black Wall Street. It was the district where we had clubs and businesses and cleaners and hair salons and stores and all of that right around Wanna Street, the old Wanna Street. We had places where we could go and get food, just different businesses. And Urban Renewal went through and destroyed that. They built something in its place, but it took away the history that was there. It also went through the East End, Smoketown. And Smoketown is not, even though it was a housing project, those were homes to families. Did they make something better? Maybe. But did they take something away? Absolutely. Those reparations, I, I think a lot of us have our own thoughts. I have my thoughts of how I'd like to see reparations roll out. And I'm waiting for the organizations. I'm listening really carefully to Dr. Cosby, who is a, a, a remarkable genius of a man. I'm listening to him. And there are some others, the ADOS, American Descendants of Slaves, you know, they have some thoughts about how they wanted to roll out in House Bill uh, 40, which is in Washington right now. So right now I'm listening and trying to decide which way I want to go because I am a descendant of slaves. So I would definitely have a part in the process. And I hope I answered that. Okay, Barbara Don and Barbara Boyd, can you tell us how to get in touch with the Louisville and national branches of ASALA? Uh, yes, I can tell you how to get in touch with the Louisville Dr. Carter G. Woodson ASALA branch. There's a phone number. It's 502-356-8651. Uh, we have a Facebook page Louisville Branch Asala and Louisville Asala Branch. If you Google it, either one of those, you will get our Facebook page. You can leave your name and any information and we will contact you. In fact, that would be the best way for us to contact anybody that's interested in being a member of the Louisville Asala Branch. And we would welcome you and uh, your insight to our local branch which is part of the national branch. Yeah, and, and to get in touch with Asala National, which to join the Louisville branch, you have to first be a member of the national. And it shows you, guides you to that. So if you go to www.a like apple, s like sam, a like apple, l like lady, h like harry, dot org, you will find a list of branches across the United States. And it gives you a contact for every single branch. It gives you their email address. So that's the way they, even to get in touch with Barbara again, uh, because they're on that list. And it gives you instructions. It tells you if you want to join a branch to pay your national membership, take your receipt to the local branch so they know you're a, a, a member of the national, and then you can join their local branch. So okay. we welcome all people to join us. Okay. We want to thank Barbara Spencer Dunn and Barbara Boyd. We're out of time, folks. We want to thank you all for appearing as our guest today. You can catch us again tomorrow at 8 a.m. and again Wednesday, March 31st at 6 a.m. You can listen live stream if you visit us at forwardradio.org and click on Listen Live Now. Program featuring Barbara Dunn, 
and Barbara Boyd will be placed in our archives Wednesday, March 31st. To listen via our archives, visit the Forward Radio website at forwardradio.org, choose Program Archives, and then scroll down to the Solutions of Balance program that features Barbara Spencer Dunn and Barbara Boyd. For more information and a schedule of programming that will surprise, delight you, and maybe even challenge you, visit us at forwardradio.org. You'll find a wealth of offerings. Before we leave you today, we want to take this opportunity to tell you about Forward Radio. If you've been listening, you know that WFMP is a non-commercial station. We can bring you both local and national programming commercial-free because all of us at WFMP work for free. What's important to us is getting our message out to you in an entertaining, informative, truthful manner. That message and our commercial-free status makes WFMP a unique radio station. It's Louisville, Kentucky grassroots volunteer-run, listener-supported community radio station, empowering new voices to create vital programming heard nowhere else. Please send your thoughts and suggestions to us at solutionsofviolence18 at gmail.com. Even though WFMP is run entirely by volunteers, it does require a revenue stream to keep the lights on, pay for the equipment, and the license renewals. Our pledge drives begins March 22nd and ends April 9th. To make a donation, just go to our website and click on Donate. This year, Forward Radio is gifting a variety of gifts as a token of our appreciation for your generosity and your donation. The gifts are listed on our website. Your generous donation is greatly appreciated. Also, April 10th marks our fourth anniversary. April 10th, WFMP will celebrate four years of broadcasting here in Louisville. As part of our celebration, we are conducting a virtual talent show. If you've got a talent you'd like to share, anything you can perform, recite, or demonstrate qualifies. We'd love to hear from you. Our Zoom audience will decide the winner of the talent contest, and the winner will receive $100 cash prize. If you want to attend as a member of our listening audience, just click on our website at forwardvideo.org, and under Fourth Birthday Celebration, click on the underlined text. The link will provide the details. The cost of admission, $10, is well worth the opportunity to witness some of Louisville's most creative talent. I'm Jim Johnson. My co-host is Jamie McMillan, and our technical engineer is Carolyn Brooks-Johnson. Thank you for joining us today.